We're going to think about a text from John 11 in just a moment. But but as we lead lead into it, one of the things that we like to think is that we're in control, that we have all the answers, that with a little planning and with a little ingenuity, we can get ourselves out of nearly every mess. Even in this coronavirus season, it's been remarkable to witness all of the the pundits and the self-proclaimed physicians, all with their special potions. So even Jim Baker had a program, that televangelist, where he had someone on and they were hawking some $125 silver solution that was supposed to get rid of corona, eradicate it, kill it within 12 hours. Too bad they never let the CDC know. Friends, when it comes to saving ourselves, ensuring our well-being, we're quite resourceful. We're quite creative, quite ingenious even. But I wonder if you've ever considered how the crucifixion itself was, in fact, an elaborate act of self-salvation. The crucifixion of Jesus, an elaborate act of self-salvation. Now, I know that sounds a bit odd. You know, we just read that macabre scene where Jesus is scourged and he is beaten, he is pierced and bloodied. But friend, how did we ever get there? That's where John 11 helps us. So let's let's turn there for just a moment. John chapter 11, I'd invite you to go uh, to, to that text, to that text that includes the very famous story of Lazarus's own resurrection and yet, Lazarus's resurrection was different, right? For the, for the Passover was nearly at hand, which meant religious fervor was especially high. It was there in Bethany, just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, which meant that all of Jerusalem would have been taking notice. It would have made national headlines. And of course, most importantly, Lazarus has been dead for days. And yet, with tears in his eyes... Jesus approaches that tomb, has them roll the stone away, and into that darkness, and into that overwhelming stench of death and decay, Jesus speaks, and Lazarus walks out. And it's the following scene I want us to think about, beginning John 11, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he, referring to Jesus, did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place, and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. And so from that day on, 
they made plans to put him to death. So notice after this miraculous resurrection, some believe. But notice some, after witnessing what happened, they feel the need to sort of run back to headquarters. And so they tell all the top brass, and that top brass gathers in verse 47. You've got the chief priests and the Pharisees and the council. And notice their question. What are we to do? Now, we can read right over that question. But stop and think about that question. What are we to do? It's a pretty ridiculous question, isn't it? I mean, what are we to do? This Jesus has just raised a man from the dead, dead four days in the grave. He didn't, Jesus, like sneak some body double through some back door. No, this is legitimately Lazarus. He merely spoke to Lazarus and a man walked out of darkness and death and into the light of life. Right? What are we to do? Are you kidding me? They're, they're talking to eyewitnesses, and that's their question. What should we be doing? What could they possibly do that might compare to what Jesus has just done in Lazarus's life? Right? They shouldn't be asking the question, what should we be doing? They should be asking the question, what did this guy just do? What did he just do? They should be asking, could he do it again? Could he do it for my family? Could he do it for me? Those would be natural questions, but those aren't the questions they're asking. And before we jump and sort of pile on top of them too much, we've, we've got to stop and reflect, right, when it comes to us, when it comes to our own relationship with God, we want something to do. Right? Don't we want something to contribute? We in some way want an assignment, want, want to, to play our own part in the story. We often make our relationship with God about duty. For if we can make it about duty and about what we contribute, then we're in control. Right? We can secure our own way. We can, in fact, determine our destiny, and we can, in some way, even save ourselves. Sadly, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the, the miracles and the signs he performed, so often we're, in fact, asking the wrong questions. We should be asking in wonder and in awe, who is he? And instead, we'll sometimes come asking Right? What will he do for me? Or maybe, how might this Jesus upset me? How might this Jesus, in fact, get in the way of my plans? How might he get in the way of my perfectly crafted future? Because notice what's behind the leader's questions there in verse 48. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, right? not us, but in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. All right, special emphasis there in the Greek on that word, that word our. So notice their principal concern. They convene a special meeting, not because they fear that the people won't grasp the significance of what Jesus has done, but they actually fear that the people will grasp the significance of what Jesus has done, and that will 
threaten their significance. That's what's getting them all worked up. It's not that people won't get it, it's that they will get it, and that will be an immediate threat to their rule and to their work. Jesus presents here a direct threat against their personal self-interest. So they're worried instead of worshiping him. They're panicking instead of giving praise to him. And friends, that's exactly how sin so tragically works. Sin at its core is raw and unfiltered self-interest. Just raw and unfiltered self-interest. Because we've got our own plans for our life. Right? We want what we want. We know how we're going to get it. And we resent anyone who tells us that we can't, in fact, have it. We don't, therefore, want to believe Jesus. We don't want to bow the knee because we know that moment we bow the knee, it means we have to bow the knee to control our ability to control our own lives. We no longer have the autonomy. We don't have the freedom to pursue our own paths of unfettered self-interest. That's what we have to give up when we recognize this Jesus. And friend, I wonder to any of you who might be listening tonight, I wonder, do you see any of yourself in these leaders? Might that give you any cause for worry, for concern? Because recognize so consumed were they in self-interest that they couldn't even see how they had become puppets of Satan himself doing his very will and in his very bidding. And friends, that's a horrifying thought because that's what sin does. It blinds us. It blinds us to reality. It it distorts our very perception of reality because what does Caiaphas do in verse 50, but stand and then proudly declare to all of those who are there, right? To all the other religious authorities, you know nothing at all. He says, nor do you understand that it is better for you that One man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Now, of course, when Caiaphas says that, he's speaking politically, isn't he? He's saying, right, better there to be one scapegoat for Rome than we all become Roman scapegoats, right? Better that one man, one Jewish man loses his life than we all lose our lives and that we all lose our living. You see, Caiaphas right there was willing to sacrifice Jesus on the altar of political expediency. There needed to be a scapegoat. There needed to be a substitute for the people. That much Caiaphas understood. And Caiaphas had just the man in mind. And that's the great plan of self-salvation that the Jews had. Right? The way they understood they were going to preserve their lives, their living, their nation, their political fortunes, their future. Even they understood their faith was to murder, in fact, the one man, the only man that could truly deliver their lives. They thought they could save themselves by killing Jesus. And so on that altar of political expediency, Jesus would hang upon that, that cross, so to speak, and there he would die. Now, of course, Caiaphas meant Jesus to be a political scapegoat, to be a political substitute for the people. 
And yet here's where we have to recognize that while Caiaphas and the leaders would, as the rest of John unfolds, begin to pat themselves on the back while they were congratulating themselves for the grand plot that they had concocted and for the way in which it ended up being successful, we have to recognize here that God is already doing and teaching us so much more. For while Caiaphas thought he had hatched quite the plot, he doesn't realize even here he's but a two-bit player in God's much grander plot. For it's true. It is true we need a substitute. That Caiaphas got right. Only the substitute we all need It's not a political substitute. No, we need a spiritual substitute. All of us, right, blinded by self-interest, by sin, we reject God's rule, his right rule over our lives. And in doing so, we all justly incur God's wrath, which is why God sent his son, Jesus, in love to be a substitute for sinners, not so that we could preserve our own petty ways of life, but rather so that Jesus could deliver us from that. Jesus is the substitute that we need. And it was there on the cross when everyone, you think about it, Pilate and Judas and Caiaphas, even Peter disowning Christ, all of them in those moments acting out of own self-interest, there was one in that moment who was not acting out of self-interest. Only one, because, of course, there was only one that was truly without sin. And it was there on the cross that Jesus willingly passed up self-interest for the self-interest of others. If the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, the essence of salvation we're seeing even right here is God substituting himself for man. In order for God to save us, he had to substitute himself for us. Only a divine satisfaction for sin could make, or rather could be made, only a divine satisfaction for sin could be made by a divine substitute for sin. So if you're listening, and if you are not a Christian, What you need to grasp is that any plan that you may have towards self-salvation from that plan, though it may appear to be working out great right now, it will one day end as rudely and abruptly as the Jewish leader's own plan. When years later, their lives, their nation, their temple, all utterly destroyed before Rome. Friends, We can't pay our way. We can't make our way. We can't save ourselves. We weren't meant to save ourselves, which is why Christ died for you and rose from the grave. So you don't have to bear that penalty yourself so that you can repent of your sins and turn to Christ and know the newness of life from Jesus who bore your sins as your substitute. But, you know, my Christian friends, this is the same cross that we soberly get to celebrate even together, though apart, tonight. The religious leaders, yeah, they concocted an elaborate plot, and they thought that by killing Jesus, they could save their nation. And yet, do you see what was even happening in verse 52? All 
the scattered children of God. All the promises going all, all the way back to Abraham. All of those promises are coming together in this one family, one God, by one faith, and this one Jesus. Caiaphas's plot, as crafty as he thought he was, he didn't even see how he was playing right into the hands of God and fulfilling the very purposes of God. And friends, those promises are promises for us. Because the same God that works so marvelously here, even through what's transpiring in these verses, is the same God who turns what appears to us to be entirely upside down and makes sense of it in Christ. This one who sealed our own salvation by his blood. He is our Savior. He is the one we get to rejoice in. That this one who has no self-interest has laid his life down so that we one day don't have to lay ours down. He has done it for us. And we give praise to God for the kindness he's shown us in Christ. Friends, when it comes to saving ourselves, we all in our own ways, we look small, large to do it. And we are often, again, quite resourceful in it. But as much as we may wish salvation was something we could accomplish by our own hands, maybe take some credit for, stand before God and say, see why you should accept me. Good Friday reminds us that salvation can only be accomplished through the hands of another. Satisfaction through substitution, right? That is salvation. That is what's so evidently clear in these verses. You know, in the words of the old hymn writer, Horatius Bonar, not what my hands have done can save this guilty soul, not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole, not what I feel or do can give me peace with God, right? Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear this awful load. But Christ can. He can bear that load. He has borne that load. Has he borne yours tonight? Let's pray. God, we give you praise that you have loved us. Lord, you, the holy God, has loved an unholy people marvelously and beautifully in Christ. And for that, we give you great praise. We praise you for the cross. And we praise you for the way in which it declares rightly who we are and how powerfully you love your people and how powerfully you commit yourself to your people. And in this, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.